261, 261.
We'll do 324 and followed by 238. 324. Okay, so we have three numbers. Uh, so we'll do 320, we're closest to that, and then 254 and then 238. Please hold the numbers for now. 320. <coughs> Let's stand for 254, 254.
brief announcement for those that are out in the foyer. Uh, we have a, the multi-purpose room set up with about 50 chairs and the projector uh, down. The, the multi-purpose room is immediately under the uh, foyer. So anyone, especially if you've got young children and you want the flexibility of being able to get up and get out, uh, feel free to make use of that space. We still have four seats up front here. I see one, two, three on the ladies' side, three more on the men's side here, two over here. So uh, come on in, let's, let's fill, it, fill up because we're going to be a capacity crowd today. Thank you.
anyone have a number? 262 versus 1 and 3. I
202, three verses, new melody. There are four seats at the front for any one in the foyer that wants to have a seat. There's lots of room here, four seats. Number 268. <coughs> Sounds like we already did this song this morning. Do we have another number? Is it just number 38? Number 38.
begin this morning's worship service with 3.30. 3.30 from the Zion's harp and sing three verses. Let's all stand. certainly lifted the rafters this morning singing and we pray that it would continue to the glory and praise of our loving father in heaven i'd like to welcome everyone here this morning i'm imagining this is a capacity crowd that is a record for us we had 134 registered for the choir alone i heard 140 showed up and uh i don't know what the number is 350 375 uh the lord provides and we're thankful for that we want to welcome you in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, from all uh, across North America. And uh, 
before we start, we'd like to have time for greetings. You know, I, I checked the, the spreadsheet and I was going to make it like a camp and see how many people came from this church and that church and so forth, but I'll just let you bring your greetings from your respective churches. So please feel free. We have with us this uh, morning uh, Brother Mikey Delich. Mikey's okay? That's fine. Uh, from Richmond Hill. He's going to have the word this morning. Please keep him in prayer. We'll have Brother John Usu to support in prayer. And uh, this afternoon we have Brother Sam Sipkar from Harrow. And please be in prayer for them all day. But for now, let's uh, have greetings uh, from the respective churches. Feel free. Brother? Greetings from Harrow. Greetings from Richmond Hill. Thank you. Any more greetings? Greetings from Mansfield. Greetings from Mansfield. Thank you. Greetings from Worcester. I say Worcester, but anyway, Worcester. <laughs> Ancaster, thank you. Greetings from La Puente, thank you. Greetings from West Akron. Greetings from Windsor, thank you. Greetings from Kitchener, Avon Road. Greetings from Medina, thank you. Greetings from Beverly Hills, thank you. Thank you. Greetings from Brunswick Hills, but this is Richmond Hill. No hill. S at the end of it. Remember that. <laughs> Any more? Greetings from San Diego. Thank you, Brother Arnold. And also greetings from Brother Ron Buko, and also from Australia, Johnny Popo and his family, when it should be remembered. Greetings from Brother Ronnie Vukov, keep him in prayer, and also from Brother John Popo, who lives in Australia. Thank you. Greetings from Strasbourg. Greetings from Strasbourg. Thank you. Sorry? Tecati. Muchas gracias. Thank you for Tecati. Bienvenidos. Thank you. E Dios te bendiga. Any more? Thank you, Brother Shane. Welcome back. Dobro došli. Who was that? Your My wife, Anka. Sister Anka, your wife, extended greetings, and Sam Brother Sam as well. Thank you. Breidenbach. Thank you. Welcome. Willkommen. Any more? Sister Nella Milankovic and Olga Slepcevic. Sister Nella Milankovic and Olga Slepcevic. Thank you. Please extend our greetings to your respective churches when you return. And uh, let's keep on praying for a blessed day. <clears throat> I'm going to forgo any other announcements that we normally have. They'll be in the uh, email, hopefully. And uh, before we do um, have the service, uh, just to remind you that <clears throat> lunch is served for everyone today. Um, we are going to, to ask everyone to dismiss the choir will stay for their practice and then uh, when they're done we'll have hopefully enough time there'll be a, the shift change can occur that those that are downstairs will be finished and the choir can come in because there's a big contingent in the choir and they'll need all those spaces downstairs so please be mindful of that um, that's all for now well, let's keep brother Mike in prayer as he would serve us from God's word
Thanks, Brother Doug. Knowing the numbers uh, doesn't really help with the nerves, but uh, it's okay. I know that many are praying, and I appreciate that. Uh, before we read out of God's Word, let's turn to him in prayer. <clears throat> Father, Lord God, we just want to thank you for this time that we have together as brothers and sisters and believers and friends that are here today, Lord God. We know that you're almighty and all-knowing and all-powerful, Lord God. You know what this audience here needs to hear, Lord God, and and. I know what you have put on my heart, Father, and I just pray, Lord God, that your word would go out in truth and simplicity and in power, Lord God, knowing that we are just seed sowers, but you do the work. And we just pray that the Holy Spirit would use your servants, not only here today in this church, but wherever your word is being preached, Lord God, that it would go out in power and truth, Lord. We thank you for all that you have done through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, as I was thinking of the theme uh, this, this week, over the last few weeks, when Brother Doug called and asked if I'd be willing to serve, and, you know, sometimes I, I have to say my answer is, and I know most of you will say, well, let me pray about it, but really you know what the answer is. You know, there's really nothing to pray for if God has put us in this situation or in this uh, particular ministry we should be willing to be used. And I think it's a cop-out when I say, personally, oh, let me pray about it, because really I kind of am waiting, maybe he might find someone else, or um, maybe there will be someone else that will volunteer. But really it goes in line with this theme here, when the king returns, how active do I want to be, and how much have I used whatever, the Lord, whatever ministry the Lord has put me into. And so I re I've been thinking a lot about this theme, when... The king returns, um, and really, there's so many different verses in the Bible that you can go through. We've, we've been going through Revelation. I think we're on year two of going through Revelation in our church on Thursday nights once every month. And you can pull out a lot of Revelation because we know what, what happens at the end when Christ does return. And that's what we're talking about. And so, for the audience here today, when we say when the king returns, it might mean something different for everyone here today. Depending on the lens you're wearing and the way you read this, you're, you're seeing it in different, in, through a different perspective. And maybe uh, for some of us here, and maybe we, we feel this more when we get older, this idea of when the king returns brings excitement. We heard Brother Doug mention when you're a special number as we get older or, or when we're going through trials and, and difficulties and ailments, we can't wait for the king to return. For the younger ones, they feel, or maybe you feel that you have a long life ahead of you. It doesn't really matter. Or maybe for those of us who are believers, we know we are saved, but we know we're going to face a God, and we're going to have to give an account for everything we have done. And maybe we feel that we've had wasted years. And so when we read this theme, or hear this theme, when the king returns, we wonder, am I going to be ready? What do I have to show for, for my years in his service? And then finally, I think of when the king returns, I think of those that have not repented, have not surrendered their life to Christ. What does that theme mean to you when the king returns? And maybe it brings dread and fear and uncertainty. And you know what? It should. It should. Because we know, we read in Revelation what happens when the king returns that there will be a great white throne of judgment, and no man will be able to escape that. 
And so maybe there's one more category. There's that, those that there's an indifference to. They don't, really doesn't matter if the king returns or not, they feel, because they're not really worried. And as, I guess, Ben Shapiro says, you know, uh, facts don't care about feelings. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think about Christ coming back. He, that's not going to stop him. He is coming back. He is coming back. And I, my hope and prayer is this weekend, through the inspiration hour, hour last night through Brother Arnold and the preaching and the, the music, that we would leave this weekend looking at our lives, me first, speaking for myself first, <clears throat> and reflecting my life and see where I stand and what this statement means to myself. And so I'd like to read um, out of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And you might think, why are you going to 2 Corinthians? There are so many other chapters. But I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, while you're, I'm going to continue talking while you're finding your, your, the text there in the Bible. Uh, I think in this, in this chapter, in the first 11 verses we're going to read, I think we can find those three different points of view um, or categories, uh, groups of people. So let's, let's read this together. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, first 11 verses. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be, that being naked we shall not be found naked. Sorry, if so, be, uh, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swelled up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing that, therefore, that the terror of the Lord weeps, or knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your own consciences. And so we've read the... 11 verses there, and I'd like to, with God's help, just go through these 11 verses. I asked Brother Doug, how much time do we have? I believe you said 15 after. He says, but it's okay, you're not long-winded. I said, obviously, you probably don't, maybe don't hear me preach too often, because I can get long-winded, so I'm going to try to uh, keep track of, uh, of time here. All right, so let's just quickly go through these verses. Uh, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What tabernacle is he talking about here? What's the tabernacle? He's talking about our body. He's, he, the tabernacle is a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. We are all, our souls are in a tent. A, just a tent that's going to dissolve. It's going to fall apart. And everyone here... Unless you have really, really, really good genes, or, you know, probably within 
you know, within 100 years, everyone's going to be uh, gone. That's a fact. That's the way we're created. We're going to die one day. And this tent is going to dissolve and it's going to be destroyed. But our soul lives on forever. And so this is, this, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he's reminding them that even though this, tab, uh, this tabernacle is dis dissolved or destroyed, we have a building of God. And house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. We will receive new bodies. And this is going to really, I think, um, really uh, focus on those that are excited for Christ's coming. And maybe it might be the wrong reason. Maybe it's, you know, are we excited because we want to have new bodies? But yeah, we're in the flesh, and yes, sometimes we struggle. We go through hard times, through sicknesses and diseases and just all kinds of different troubles. And we're tired of the things that this world has to offer. Again, I would say maybe more in, as we get older, we start realizing that life is so quick. And it just brings so much trouble. But one of the many benefits of surrendering your life to Christ is that we are going to have new bodies, glorified bodies. And he says here, not made with hands. And you know, what does this mean, not made with hands? I thought God made us. Did he not make us with hands? And really, what, what is he saying here? Well, in Mark 14, 58, he's... Um, we read here, we heard him say, these are the Jews saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. So we read that same term, made without hands. I will rebuild a temple made without hands. Jesus here, obviously in this text, is speaking of his glorified body, his new body. He was going to resurrect himself. In Hebrews 9.11, but Christ being but Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or not of this creation. In other words, the bodies we receive is not going to be from this earthly plan, if you will, or what God has created here. It is going to be something heavenly. It's going to be not for the body that we had in this creation, but in the new creation. That's what we're going to receive. And Paul goes on to say, For in this tent, in this tabernacle, we groan, longing to, to put on our heavenly dwelling. We're groaning. You know, sometimes I wonder why we don't always groan. Is it that I just enjoy life too much? I actually enjoy where I'm at right now. But Paul is saying we should have this perspective where we, we are groaning. It's, a groaning is a, a sorrow under a heavy load. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Meaning, we're not going to be when we die. First of all, we're not going to be angels. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're not going to be angels, ministering spirits. But we will have new bodies. We're going to be clothed. We're not going to be found naked. We're not going to be some souls just floating around in time. But we will have a purpose in God's kingdom. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, that we would be unclothed, but that we would be rather further fully clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The key here is further clothed. That we would want to, that we would have this desire for when we think of when the king returns, that we would realize that we will have new bodies. That is something that, that we should be excited for and looking forward to. Why? You know, I said um, 
because of sickness, and that's one thing. There are many things, though, why we want to leave this body. Sickness is one. We know that it's not actually us that, that are groaning. Uh, uh, Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of the sons for the redemption of our bodies. It's this eager waiting to be redeemed. How many times are who here who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, are you eagerly waiting? Am I eagerly waiting? Am I excited? Or am I just saying, not just yet? I wonder, you know, I'm... I'm thinking about those of us who are married. You, know, you, you are engaged. Who here is engaged and not eagerly awaiting for the wedding day? I mean, if someone says, yeah, I'm engaged, I'm engaged, but I just don't really care for the wedding day. I mean, you're, off, you're not off to a good start. I'm not sure what kind of relationship you even have then. And I'm using that analogy for those that are maybe new to the message, to the Bible, to Christianity, is that the Christ is the bridegroom. The church is referenced as the bride, and we are the bride, and there will be a wedding day. And we will be reunited. <clears throat> and so we know that all of creation, all of creation um, was affected by the fall, of Adam's fall. We know this. And so it's not just man that has been set off course and now we have this sin nature that man desires to sin, things die, things get sick. We see this in the world. We see this in animals. We see this in plants and trees and in the world. It's falling apart. And the whole of creation, everything is groaning, waiting for Christ to return to make all things new and better. And in the Old Testament, we see everything was a foreshadowing. Even the Old Covenant was a foreshadowing for something better, the New Covenant, Everything, the priest was a foreshadowing of Christ, our high priest. So there's everything is going to be just much, much better when Christ restores. <clears throat> but why else do we grow weary? It's not just because of the flesh, not because of the, the, the sickness, because there are maybe here, those here that are here today that are pretty healthy. And you're very healthy. And you're not like, I don't really care. I'm, I actually feel pretty good. But the fact of the matter is everyone is sick with sin, with sin. And the fact of the matter is also is that we are tempted and we struggle. And we have this constant battle going on between good and evil, knowing the things that we should do and we don't do it. And I believe that everyone feels that. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Because of Adam came death, but because of Christ we have the resurrection. We have eternal life because of Christ, those that put their faith and trust in him, that follow him, that commit, that can call him Lord and Savior, that repent of their sin and turn to him. 53 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, For this perishable body, body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. There will be a great exchange. We will live forever. What sin did Christ undo, undoes? When we, when, we, when we trust him and when we surrender to him. And Romans 7, a very familiar one, one that's much debated of what Paul actually meant when he talks about this, this wrestling that goes within the body. Is he, was he talking about when he was a believer? Was he talking about when, you know, when he was an unbeliever? And you know, he finishes off, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he goes, but I thank God. And he goes on. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to talk about whether he was a believer or unbeliever. I would say we have experienced it both. 
As an unbeliever, we realize and we see the tension of sin and wanting to do good. But even as believers, if we're honest with each other, we experience that because we are still in the flesh. We have not received our glorified bodies. And so our body sometimes wants to please the flesh. And although we have received a new nature, there's this constant battle. And so that would be a reason for those that think, well, you know what, I'm healthy. I'm okay with this body. Yeah, maybe with health-wise, but spiritually-wise, you are a target for the enemy. I'm a target. The enemy doesn't care to attack the ones he already has. He wants to attack us as believers to discourage us. And so when we think when the king returns, we know that when he does return and we are glorified and when we are reunited with him, there is no more temptation to sin anymore. There is no more sin anymore. There is no more sickness nor disease. All things are made new. And that should excite us. That should excite us. I think of eternal life, honestly, this is what I think of, and I said this before, I think of life as, I think of life that we are experiencing right here as a baby in a mother's tummy, and I've shared this before. And for nine months, that baby's in the mother's tummy. And you can tell that baby, you know, through talking, hey, you know, little baby, you're going to be coming out one day, and there's candy, and there's clowns, and there's balloons, and birds, and music, and you're going to see trees and forests and whales and dolphins. You're going to see all these things. But the baby, all the baby knows is, can't even imagine that. The baby just does not, doesn't even care for it, really, because that's where they feel comfortable. And they don't want to come out. They want to stay there. But the baby's coming out, one way or another, dead or alive. Sorry to be so graphic. The baby's coming out. And then real life starts. And I believe that's how we are. We are just, this is just temporary. And we're going to feel and experience something so much more greater and so much more better when the king returns. <clears throat> Paul goes on to say in verse 5, He who has prepared for us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You know, okay, Mikey, that sounds good. Very nice. You know, okay, the Bible says it. What guarantee? Well, first of all, we do need faith. We do need faith that we believe and we hold God to his word. But the Bible says that he has given us his spirit. Ephesians 1.13, very familiar with when we're counseling with, with those that we're counseling with. Ephesians 1.13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The king is coming to close the deal. He has given his down payment. He has given his down payment. But he is returning for his bride. He's given the, the dowry. But he's coming and returning home together to collect his bride and to bring her home. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from God and at home with the Lord. What an attitude Paul has here. What an attitude. What a reminder for us. Paul's saying, you know what? I'd rather be away from this body and to be with the Lord. How many of us, again, how many of us can truly say that? That we'd rather leave this body... Remember, okay, Paul maybe never had a family. And maybe I think for those of us that are married, we have a little different perspective here. We have our wife, our children, or a husband and children. And so maybe we look at it a little differently. But the principle is the same. Even our family is going to leave one day, this earth. And we look to something better. 
And, and now verse 9 really starts, I believe, transitioning into this idea of those that are ready, those that are, are believed, I should say, are believers. They're believers. And maybe they might be excited, maybe they're not, they might not be excited because they are not ready yet to actually face him. Because we've been one year, two years believers, 70 years. What do we have to show for? And what do I mean by what do we have to show for? It's what have we done with our life, with time? We heard Arnold mention the endless scrolling. I'm guilty of that. I hate it because it's, it's nothing sinful that, well, it can be. There could be things that are inappropriate, obviously. But it's, it's just time. You realize how much time you've just wasted. And I could be doing better things with that time. And so, verse 9 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Our goal is to please God. Our goal here on earth is to glorify God. Why? Why? Why is that important? Verse 10 says why. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is one of those verses, along with Matthew 7, we'll say, where it says, many will say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name, we prophesy in your name, and he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never even knew you. I think for believers, it's a little bit of, you know, sobering. And you question, am I walking with the Lord? Am I truly committed to God? And those are healthy questions, but we have to also be careful that the enemy doesn't use that to discourage us, but to prod us to move forward and to examine our lives. But this verse here is one of those verses where it really makes me look at my own life. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now to clarify that, to clarify that, I don't believe that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ whether we're saved or not. That has been taken care of on the cross. That has been taken care of on the cross. This word judgment here is the word krisis, which is separating, sundering, separate a sentence, a condemnation. Sorry, I jumped again. That was in, in John 5.22. In John 5.22, it says, it's separating the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ that believers will stand before and what John 5.22 talks about. So let's go to John 5.22 to 24. For the Father judges no one, but all, has, all judgment has given to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whosoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. And that word judgment there is the word crisis, separating, sundering, a sentence of condemnation, damnatory judgment, punishment. The Bible says he does not come into judgment. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. That's a different word, but it's the same meaning, damnatory sentence, condemnation, because we have been justified by Christ Jesus. And I want to clarify that because I think the pendulum can swing both ways. We can look at that and say, oh, we're saved. We're just going to go on coasting on with life. I'm not going to have to give an account to God. I mean, I'm justified by the blood of Christ. He died on the cross. He took the punishment. I'm saved. Or we could take a look at that and look at, you know, at this judgment seat of Christ and just be in constant fear. Am I saved? Am I not saved? We have to be sure that we are saved based on the Word of God, based on the Holy Spirit, 
which was the deposit, which was the down payment for our salvation, the blood that was shed for us was the forgiveness of sin. We have to believe that, that we're saved by his grace. But that does not mean that we can do anything we want and we will not give an account for it. It's like our children. We love our children. They are always our children. But they will give an account if they do things that are good. We reward them. And when they're disobedient, disobedient, we chastise them. Or we let them know. And that is our Father's relationship with us. Because he loves us. He rewards us. But when we are disobedient and do those things that are not pleasing, we're chast- we, we receive chastisement. <clears throat> First Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. First Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. The Corinthian church had issues understanding where their identity was. Was it a Paul, Apollos? I'm from this sect. I'm from that sect. I'm from this denomination. I'm from that denomination. The foundation was Jesus Christ. And on that foundation, we build our faith. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will will dissolve it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that has done what has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. We, are, we don't realize. We're all builders. We're building on this foundation. We're all in some sort of construction. We are building on this foundation of Jesus Christ through sanctification, through how active we are as, as, as God's children, how involved you are in, in ministries or whatever God has given you. We are all building on this foundation. And sometimes it's built with straw. And we know straw, those of, those of you who go camping and want to start a fire, easy to just draw straw, it just lights up. But go try burning gold and silver and see what happens. Nothing. He says, each one's work is burned up. He, uh, sorry, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved as only through fire. We will give an account to God. We will go through this judgment of the things that we have done on this earth. And I really want to stress that out because I feel, again, there's pendulums. And sometimes, you know, at one time, maybe it was all about works in our lives. And they're like, it's not works. We're saved by grace. And now it's all grace. It's all grace, grace, but there's no works. And yes, we are saved by God's grace, but our works need to demonstrate that we have been saved. That's why James talks about that. Faith that works is dead. Our works need to display our faith. Our works is evidence of our faith. It's not what saves us, but it's evidence that we have been born again. It's evidence that we are saved. And so when the king returns, a great reminder for us all is that we will give an account. But you know what? Today's not too late. We have, we're, we're breathing right now. We have life right now. Wherever God has called you to work, whatever he's called you to do, Stay active. Do it. We always find a reason. I mentioned this morning when I was asked, uh, maybe think, let me pray about it, let me think about it. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. I, I'm not here to try to, 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 to please you. 
I want to glorify God through what I say because I will give an account for everything I say. And that's something that every Bible teacher, Sunday school teacher and preacher, or even when you're witnessing with your friends, we will give an account to God for the things that we've said and was it truth. And I pray today that what I said today was truth before I preached here today that would give God the glory because I will stand before him, not before you. And you're not going to stand before you. You're going to stand before God as, as well one day. Be used. Be willing to be used. And just focus on Christ and where he has placed you and work with what you have and what he's given you and what tools he has given you. And I think, Adrian, again, I knew there's going to be some things that overlap here, obviously. You mentioned, not Adrian, Arnold, sorry. You uh, mentioned that um, in, your, in your inspiration hour last night, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, we're taught, we understand the talents. It's, the talents was a, a sum of money, a weight, a sum of money that was given in Matthew 25. And uh, we know that the master gives someone five, and, they, and the master leaves, and they work with, those, with that sum of money or the talents, if we want to call it talents, whatever it is. And he brings five more. And then the one that he was given, that was given two, he brought two more. And, and, and so we read here in Matthew 25, 23, um, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, did, where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid and I hid the talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. He just judged himself. He says, I know that you uh, demand interest. You, you need a profit here. But knowing that should have motivated him to do something. The master says, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And we know the end result of that individual a true born-again believer, we read in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, needs to have fruit in his life. Young believer, there needs to be fruit in your life. And sometimes that fruit takes time to grow. Right? Okay? For it to be a great harvest, but there needs to be fruit. That is the evidence that you are a believer. And that's the evidence that I am a believer. And that should motivate us to work again with what we have. Because we know we're not asked to work and not given a tool. We've been given the Holy Spirit. You're not asked to go out to be lights of this world, to be the salt of the earth, to share the gospel, and just leaves you there by yourself. Jesus says, I must go that the Holy Spirit would come down. We are given the Holy Spirit. How much do we actually use it? What does the Holy Spirit even mean to us? Yes, it's our guarantee, it's our down payment, but how active is the Holy Spirit? How active is he in our life? And how much do we depend on him? And finally, we're going to finish off um, here soon, very soon, the third category, the third category. Those that are not ready to meet him because they have not surrendered. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They have no relationship with the king. It's not to know of him, 
but it's to know him. And does he know you? I remember years ago, and I shared this maybe with some people in our church, there was a, a Jamaican guy in Toronto here, I think uh, off of Finch and um, Dufferin and Finch area, and he was getting appliances, scratch and dent appliances. And I thought it was a pretty cool deal. He would get scratch and dent appliances, I think from GD, uh, GE, Frigidaire, and so forth, and he would get them by the truckload, very, very cheap. I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. You have a good little business going here. And I go, so you must know someone there. Like, this is about 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. How do you get this deal? And he goes, it's not who I know. I know the queen. What good does it do? Does she know me? It's who knows me. And I thought about this. We might all have heard, and those that have not surrendered your li their lives to Christ, I'm speaking to you, you might know of Christ, but does he know you? Do you know, does he know you intimately? Have you surrendered? Have you confessed your sin, repented of your sin, and turned to him? And maybe if he doesn't and you don't know him, this is why you fear his coming. Verse 11 says, because we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This is exactly what we're doing here. We are persuading our fellow brothers and sisters, reminding that we are going to stand before God. But those that have not repented of their sin, they're going to stand before God as well. And we, want to, we are here to persuade you. And sometimes I feel like we're, we're salesmen. I say car salesmen. I've got to be careful. We have a lot of car salesmen in, in, our, in our church. So I'm not mean that in no disrespect. But we, I feel like when I'm trying to witness to someone, I'm trying to sell them something. I'm so excited. And just, please just take it. You almost feel like you're begging. But at the end of the day, it's really not up to us. We could just sow this seed and we could just explain to you. We, we, we say persuade. The word persuade is here, but we try to really reason with you. But you're going to have to work this out with God. <clears throat> because one day you will stand before him. One day you will stand before him. Revelation 20, 11, and five, 11 to 5. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who seated on it from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead where, that were in it. Death and Hades gave up their dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one, according, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't believe that believers are going to be here in this great white throne of judgment. I know we had this conversation before with some of you. At one time I did. I thought this was all the same thing. But here, if we were to read, and we don't have the time to go earlier on, actually in Revelation 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. They should be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. And in verse 14, it says, this is the second death, the lake of fire. But my friend that does not know Jesus Christ will stand, and this will be a horrible, horrible time to stand before God. You see, you hear on social media that these great 
wealthy billionaires and whoever they are, are making um, bunkers on the side of mountains in Hawaii. Was it Bill Gates that, that, that is doing this and many other? Just in case, in case there's this, this, uh, a war that goes out or some sort of famine or disaster on this earth, they want to try to keep themselves safe. They want to try to keep themselves safe. And they have the money to build great things and try to protect themselves. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Revelation 6, 15 says, And the kings of the earth, and this is now when the sixth seal, in Revelation 6, the sixth seal that is opening up, and this is really in the seven seals explaining what happens uh, the, uh, in towards the end times, the, the last seven years, when the Antichrist comes and when finally Christ returns. And this is a sixth seal. And it says, And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens. And we heard about dens yesterday. In the rocks and in the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? There will be no great man, doesn't matter how much money, who you thought you knew, if he doesn't know you, you're in trouble. Doesn't matter what you thought you could do to prepare yourself for doomsday, you are in trouble. And this is not a scare tactic. We could read in Revelation 19 when Christ returns to destroy the nations. It is done. It is finished. Christ wins. And he does not come as a redeemer anymore, but he comes as a judge. Today, he is available as a redeemer. But he will return as a judge. The king is coming. Are you ready to meet him? Here's the thing. Christ can come at any moment. And, and just think of this. We think, okay, well, I've been, I kind of, I kind of know some eschatology, end time prophecy, what's going to happen. This needs to take place. This needs to take place before Christ comes. Your life can end right now. My life can end right now. Our heart stops. We're done. And for us at that moment, it's the return of the king. We will open up our eyes and you're before the king. We can't think that we have time. Time is not guaranteed. You might pull out of your car. I'm oh, sorry, in your car, pull out on the street. Someone T-bones you. You're, make, you're meeting your maker. And this is not a scare tactic. I'm not trying to scare someone into heaven. But it's a reminder that this is a fact. This is reality. Jonathan Edwards, in his famous revival sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I listened to it. I mean, they, they, I listened to it. Obviously, it was, it was someone else reading it because Jonathan Edwards was around the 17th century. But there was a great revival that was started by his type of preaching. The fact that the, 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 the preaching of, of, uh, of truth, that, that there are sinners, that all of us were sinners and lived that life and God graciously called us. And we answered that call and we committed our lives to him. But those that, that, that don't know him, he says, and I'm paraphrasing this, he says this, and this was very sobering, you know, just listening to this. It's like, it's as if, as you're, it's as if you're hanging over hell by a, by a string. And God is holding you there. 
And at any moment, his mercy will be just say, he will just say, it's enough. It's done. You are only alive because you're only here right now breathing. You're only here right now breathing because God has given us that. God is keeping us alive. He is giving us breath. He has given us a heartbeat. He's keeping us alive right now. But there's a time and a point of time when man must die. And the Bible says then comes judgment. Are you ready to meet your maker? Or do we doubt and we say, ah, you know what? Like Second uh, Peter 3 says, knowing this first, the scoffers will come and the last days, uh, um, in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of the coming for wherever... For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. We heard this, Mikey. We heard this before. We've been hearing this from 10 years ago in camp. We heard this 10 years ago in camp. What changed? Christ still never returned. He says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. Let me go to verse 8, piece of time. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done will be exposed. At the end of the day, God... He's keeping you alive because he's a merciful, loving, patient God. But that patience does not go on forever. You will leave this earth one day. I think of that little video that I saw. I saw a guy, uh, he's mountain climbing, and he's testing the rope, which is really cool. He's testing the rope. I didn't realize how strong this rope is for mountain climbers. And he's, he's, sec he's not secure. He has a parachute on his back, and he slowly just, I don't know, maybe you've seen this. He starts cutting the rope one fiber at a time, and just starts flinging, loosening up, and I'm like, okay, the rope's going to give. And he's cutting it a little bit more, a little more, and he gets down to like millimeters, millimeters, and then he, he stops cutting it, and he just waits, waits, and you just see the little fibers breaking, breaking, and then finally, the rope breaks. But he has a parachute. He has a parachute, and he pulls his parachute, he survives. Those that don't know Jesus Christ are like that people on that, like that guy in that rope that's cutting the rope, but he has no parachute. That rope will give. It's just a matter of time. The fibers are breaking. The body's falling apart. We live in a fallen world. Things happen in life. When you fall, do you have someone to catch you? Are you safe in the arms of Jesus? And I want to just finish off with this. And my hope and prayer is that you would be safe. For all of us, as Robin Mark in the song, when it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done, all my treasures will mean nothing. Only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time. Lord, your mercy is so great that you look beyond our weakness and find purest gold in miry clay, making sinners into saints. I will always sing your praise here on earth and ever after. For you've shown me heaven's my true home when it's all been said and done. You're my life when life is gone. When it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matter. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? Lord, I'll live my life for you. Amen. Thank you, brother.
Mike, for that very uh, sobering, I think that's the word you used uh, maybe during the sermon. Um, I came across, uh, look for this song, which is ringing in my head again. Um, and it's really pertinent to this sermon. And it's uh, 56 from the Zion's Harp. One, two, and four. And it's got two verses that are very pleasant and welcoming and, and, and excited for the return of Christ. But what about the second verse? Where do you belong? Which verse do you belong in? Let's think, sing this song and, and think about your life, especially those that have not yet received the truth and accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior.
When Christ comes again, earth and heaven, it says here, the earth and skies will be fleeing. John the Baptist told the, the Jews, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of God? All creation will know when Christ comes. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter, final letter, final words before he went to his death, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse chap, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says that he longs, he has finished the course, run a good race, fought a good fight, and then waits for him a crown of glory that doesn't fade away, which he will receive, and all men that love his appearing. Think about that. One day your life's going to end, my life's going to end. Can you say, I love his appearing? We're going to conclude with a prayer. Brother John is going to have a closing prayer and include the meal. And as mentioned, uh, those that are not in the choir, please uh, make your way out to lunch downstairs. And uh, hopefully by the time the choir is finished practicing, the, shift, the second shift can be have uh, empty chairs to come in and uh, we'll resume services at 2.30. 2.30 back in the sanctuary. Please be prompt. Thank you. Brother John. Let us arise for prayer. <clears throat> our God and Father in heaven, we come to thee again with thankfulness on our heart that thou art faithful to thy word. And thou art answering prayers, Father, from those who seek thee and who look unto thee, who ask, who knock. We thank thee, Father, for the privilege that we had even in this day as thou hast gathered us together to hear again of the surety of the return of the King. And we pray, Father, that thou would help us all to be ready, to take inventory and to see what it is we're lacking, how we're building, that we could be ready and anticipating with joy the return of Jesus Christ. We thank thee for Jesus Christ who came and died on this earth. He was a perfect example. He shed his blood and paid the price of our sins. He returned to heaven to intercede for us and indeed is coming again to receive his own and to usher in the kingdom of heaven forever. We thank thee for the Holy Spirit. We ask that thy spirit, O God, that he would go into all of our hearts and look and examine and see what's in there, see what needs to be changed, Help us all, Father, brother and sister alike, and we ask that thy Holy Spirit also would speak to those who are not yet in relationship with him, that he would get their attention, that he would interrupt their lives, turn their lives upside down, if necessary, Father, that they would get that message. We thank thee for the church, and especially the one here in Western Road in Toronto, we ask that thou would bless them for opening their hearts, their homes, their church, and ministering to our needs, we ask that thou would bless the food that is prepared, bless every hand that worked and that labored to, to prepare these meals for us, that we could enjoy them and that we could fellowship together and have strength to do thy will, O God. Father, we also pray that thou would find now those children of believers here and elsewhere that in their hearts have left the Father's home, have left the the word of God, Father, seeking other things, we ask that thou would find them 
be that good shepherd leaving the 90 and 9 to find every last one and bring them back. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, please. Uh, could I have your attention just for a moment? We're thankful that we have so many, and the weather is cooperating with us as well, that it's not too bad outside. Uh, in the interest of logistics, if we could just wait for a few moments in the, in the sanctuary so that this, the foyer and, uh, can be cleared of chairs and the downstairs multipurpose room can be reset with tables, uh, then we'd like to ask those who are not in the choir to dismiss themselves, line up from the foyer down along the dining room into the food line, and when you're done eating, if you could please come up this side entrance and come in the side door of the sanctuary because the choir will be dismissing to form a line in the same place. So if we could just have your cooperation with that, we'd appreciate it. Thank you.